Well, you know, uh, she's taken on so many battles in life as well, cancer, and uh, just going through that as a strong testimony. But she's in a different kind of battle right now, and it's called getting her master's degree, you know. So she's in seminary, and we were talking about this, and it's intimidating, you know. She's like, I don't know what I don't know, and they want me to do this, and they want me to do that, and I'm a mother, and I'm working at the church. There's a lot going on. And basically, I shared with her the principle. God doesn't give you a test unless he wants you to come out with a testimony. God doesn't give us tests to fail. So when, when I was encouraging her, I could relate because, you know, I had to get my master's degree and then my doctorate degree and so forth. And I felt that, uh, you know, all those tests all along the way. And, and though in that level of learning, you don't actually take tests. It's about, you know, the examinations are, are, are coming through your papers and your studies and your ability to uh, share the information. But I said with her, go through the process, willing to learn without putting pressure on yourself. And as you do it day by day, you'll realize how much you start taking on and then when you look back at the process, you look back as if you were climbing up a mountain and be like, man, how did I get all the way up here? Well, it was step by step. Somebody say step by step. You know, thank you. In other words, you don't write your dissertation for your master's degree having already written a master's uh, dissertation. You write your master's dissertation by never writing a master's dissertation, doing one page at a time. And as you do it one page at a time and you do the research, you finally go from here to there. So here is the place you don't have your master's dissertation. Come on, I'm, help, I'm encouraging her, but I'm helping somebody else here today, right? You, you start here where you don't have your master's dissertation, and then you end up there, and you go, oh, I got a master's dissertation. But you didn't get there by having it first. Does everybody get that? You got there one step at a time, one day at a time with Jesus. Amen? That's what the old-timers always used to say as well. And, and, and they were old for a reason. God had kept them around for a while. We should remember some of those things. And believe it or not, as I even look across this church, I kind of feel like I'm a generational uh, gapper here. I get to gap between people that I met that many of you didn't have the chance to meet. Maybe some of you did have Christian uh, grandparents or grew up in the church, but many of you didn't get to know them, like Lester Sumrall, uh, you know, Kenneth Hagen, or those like that. Even Reinhard Bonnke just passed away not too long ago. R.W. Shambach, some of these names that might sound familiar to you. Uh, those are people that I grew up listening to, and what they would teach is what I'm just teaching now. You go through your test, you get a testimony, and then you look back on it and you say, man, God, you did it. You did it again. Amen. God, you did it again. And then what it does is it gives you strength. It gives you motivation for the next test, the next thing that you face. And every stage of life that God gives you in this, and everybody just track with me here, the sermon before the sermon is so that when you come out of it, you come out different. And so if you come out of your test, not having grown in your faith, you went through it wrong. Now, how many know God still loves losers? Amen. He's loved us when we were losers as sinners, and technically we're not losers as believers. But if we lose or fail the test, he still loves us. But just guess what? You're going to go through it again. And it may not be the same exact thing. I mean, you, you may not get that kind of illness again, or you may not learn uh, to live without that kind of a relative again. You only have one mom, you know. But what I'm saying is if you don't learn the lesson of loss, you're going to feel that again when you lose somebody, and you're going to have to learn to live without that person to trust in Jesus. If you don't get the lesson through the pain of uh, growing in your education or on your job, you know, don't let the world outwork you and just say it's the devil. No, if they're getting promotions and you're not, it may not be it's because of the devil might be because you're coming late and not doing the same work as they are. Can I hear an amen to that? Sometimes we blame the flat tire on the devil, and it's like, no, you didn't fill it up when you saw that little light go on. Don't blame the devil on your laziness. And so here's the thing. If you don't learn it in that first lap, you're going to go through it again and again. And, and this is what I, I, I've, I've picked up, and I'm, I'm holding on to it, and this is what I believe, that as you go from glory to glory to glory, the tests may get bigger and bigger, or the tests may come more frequently, but they affect you less. See, I believe that. And the reason why is, is because all throughout your life, like David, as you fought the bear, you fought the lion, by the time you get to Goliath, there's no difference in your mind anymore. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? So, so in our mind, we might think, well, if I went through this kind of a test, you know, like my mother lost my sister, her daughter. That's a scary thought. How many parents know that's probably the scariest thought in your mind right now? Losing a child, burying a child. And, and, and in my mom's situation, it happened one of the worst possible ways, drinking and driving. So it wasn't even a slow death of cancer. Not saying that's any better, but I'm just trying to imagine how she might have thought about it. It wasn't like that my sister was living a good life and just sickness came upon her and she fought until the end. No, it was one moment. I have a, sis, uh, I have a daughter that's uh, on drugs and alcohol, living an up and down life, and the next moment she's dead and I'm 
I'm going to a funeral. Is everybody get that's tragedy, right? But my mother went through that like some of you. Uh, uh, she probably went through that better than some of you go through losing a job. Why would my mom be able to do that? Because she had learned throughout the tests of her life to trust the Lord. So when she lost a child, it was just like the time she had to fight the bear and the lion. Now that's the Goliath. But as David faced Goliath, he said, you can't take me on in the name of my God. My God will knock you down every single time. You don't have anything against me, giant, in the name of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? And so that's, that's what I want to encourage you with. Don't let your tests pass you by. Let tests become testimonies. And as you build up in your faith, don't get intimidated by the devil as he says, well, this test is going to be different. That's why I love what Lester Summerall did at the end of his life, one of my favorite preachers. Lester Summerall wrote a book called Goodbye Planet Earth. He wanted to let everybody know on the way out that the faith message and and, and trusting in Jesus and the peace of God was there with them to the very end. How many want to go out like that? Where you're saying, goodbye, planet planet earth. I've did all that I came here to do. I'm going home to meet Jesus. Death, where is your sting? And I'm telling you, because I've read that even to some older folks, because just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser. Sometimes I meet some ornery old people. Anybody ever met an ornery old person? Now, of course, respect your elders, but I'm just saying not every granny is sweet. Not every grandpa is nice, okay? Amen. So we got to love them and teach them. And I've shared that with them. And sometimes they try to say, oh, you just don't know. You just don't know. When you get a bit, oh, you get a bit older, you're going to understand. And life gets hard and it's stuff don't work. And, you know, I'm serious. And I've had them tell me, you know, uh, you're going to lust and, and your wife won't satisfy you. Uh, my grandfather used to have playboys hanging up in the barn. And he said, oh, she has to get over it. She don't look good anymore. This is what I want. How many know the devil is a liar? And so when I read that book, Goodbye Planet Earth, he said, I'm still in love with my wife as the day I first met her. If not more, she's the most beautiful woman. See, that encouraged me that I can finish 50, 60 years with my wife. And then he said, we've been best friends. We're sweet with one another because sometimes you'll see older people argue and sometimes they're just talking. But I remember one time I was walking into an Applebee's and she was trying to leave her husband behind. And she, she was like, you just stay back there. You just stay back. And then she looked at me. And she's like, I've been putting up with him all these years, you know. That's kind of one of those sweet moments, but you know. But my point is, it doesn't have to turn bad. Your life doesn't have to go down, even as your body goes down. And that message, I shared that powerful scripture, that as the body's wearing down day by day, the Bible says we're getting new glories in every moment, amen, inexpressible, incomparable to the things that we're losing. So we're gaining an eternal inheritance. Can I hear one more amen? Amen. Thank you for that. So that was the sermon before the sermon. Luke chapter 4, starting here where Jesus gets the prophecy of Isaiah 61, applies it to himself. We're going to learn today about part two from last week, which is godliness in action. And I want you to notice here what the, what the Isaiah prophet said about Jesus. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Jesus reading this in church, and he's applying it to himself, because he has anointed me to preach or proclaim good news to the who? To the who? To the poor. Thank you. The first thing the anointing is for is to preach the gospel, and the first audience of the gospel is the what? The poor. Amen. So that everybody get this. The anointing isn't just to have conferences, to have choirs. And let me just say this. The anointing is a special ability by God to do things you normally couldn't do. Somebody say, I'm anointed and I'm appointed. Now, what is that for? The first and primary reason is the same thing for Jesus. You are anointed and you are appointed to preach the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he is going to be speaking about that throughout his whole ministry. He's going to be prophesying that. He's going to then send the Holy Spirit on them in Acts chapter 2, baptize them in power to go out and preach that message. Amen? Amen. Come on. And they're going to start with the poor, the needy. They're going to go to the downcast. And by the time you get to the book of Acts, the first service of the church, the first work of the church isn't conferences and choirs and music ministry or plays and all of those things are fun. The first ministry of the church is taking care of the widows. How many remember that? And then they don't get along. And so that just shows you that church problems have been around since the first day of the church. Hey, we're going to take care of all of you widows, all of you mothers and women that don't have anybody take care of you. Okay. And then all of a sudden, the Greek ones and the Hebrew ones start getting in fights and arguments. And the apostles.
also say, man, we, we don't got time to always figure out who's, in, who's right and who's wrong here, you know. So they said, we're going to appoint deacons. How many remember that? And the deacon literally means servants. We're going to appoint servers to figure this out so that we can keep our attention on praying and focusing on the word of God. Jesus speaking here is going to set the whole church up for its focus. The spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus as the Messiah to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the good news. That's what it means. And then he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the who? To the prisoners. Now, that's both in the natural and in the spiritual, those bound up by sin to get free. So we're not supposed to be, as Christians, afraid of those with addictions. How many know somebody with an addiction? That's why even now with these pain pills, I have to be careful because I'm getting some opioids right now. And you have to be careful, and they're, and they're giving you warnings on how often you take them. Good people have gotten addicted to opioids from pain uh, just like I'm facing right now. And then you got people with alcohol, and they're function- there are some functioning alcoholics, and there are others that are sleeping on the side of the road today. And we're not supposed to be afraid of that. We're supposed to go to them. And not only just those who are addicted spiritually, or, or, or rather imprisoned spiritually by their addictions, we're supposed to go visit prisoners. How many know we have a ministry that goes to the jails and reaches out? Did you know that? If you went to the jail this past weekend, would you stand up? We want to bless some of you. I don't know if they're only in second service. Okay, I guess I have to. No, nobody's here? Okay. He's there. Can you bring him in? We're going to clap for him because he went out to the jail this weekend. And Desiree, wherever she went, I don't know where she's at now, but I thought there was some here today. But I want you guys to give it up for our our jail ministry as they come in because we're fulfilling this word to go out to the prisons. There he is. Let's give it up for Fofo. Come on. God bless you. Quickly come up here and testify real quick. We don't take this lightly. We're going to apply it as we learn it today. Tell us where you go, what you do, and then maybe just something yesterday that happened special. Looks like you're wearing. I'm sorry to tease you right there, but it looks like you're wearing the shirt. Tell us about that ministry. Yes, yeah. So I joined the Good News uh, Jail and Prison Ministry recently in August. And what we do there basically is we meet the kids where they're at. We go there and we pray with them. We give them Bibles. We do devotionals with them. And a lot of these kids come from broken homes. Um, they're forgotten in prison and they're forgotten outside of prison. So the goal is is to go in there and make sure that they come to church after because I see it a lot that they go in, they just give the Bibles, but I really want them to come and get discipled and go back home and tell their families about Jesus and see that community just get changed and rock for Jesus. Yeah. I go every other Tuesday. Um, if you want to get connected, there is a process that takes about two to three weeks if you're really committed. But... This Wednesday, I will be doing an event that's called Adopt a Pod, and that event is awesome because you don't need to do the whole process to get in. You just come on in with me because I'm a volunteer, and what we do is we feed them uh, pizza and soda, and we feed them the good news, right? We give them Jesus. So if you're interested in that, let me know this today. Today's the last day. I could get you uh, signed in because after today, uh, the list will be already given. So if you're interested in that, come on this Wednesday. It's from 6 o'clock to 7.15. And it's at the Juvenile Center. I think it's on Jackson and Western. It's not too far. It's about a 20-minute drive. So it's a good way. If you want to go, um, no, no commitment. This, uh, no, with no commitment, you could get in there free. And if you get uh, encouraged that day, you could uh, get committed after that with the whole process. Amen. So it would be awesome. Amen. Thank you, my brother. And before you go... Did anybody here in the ministry uh, kidnap you to make you do this, hold a gun to your back, or did this come out of your own heart and desire? It came out of my own heart and desire. Amen. Let's give it up one more time. You see, this is a brother in the church doing what God called him to do. Thank you. Because sometimes people are like, oh, ministry, it's so hard. It's almost like doing the ministry is the prison sentence, you know, like they're doing community service. That's not what ministry should be like. It's a joy to serve the Lord. Amen. I get happy when I get to do things for God like that. So that's no coincidence that this is popping off even right now as the Lord puts this sermon in my heart, because I want us to make sure for 2024, we do more with the poor. Amen. Anybody hear those bars, those rhymes? 
in 2024, MPI is going to do more with the who? With the poor, and not just in the physical, but also in the spiritual. Because once you're locked up, it doesn't matter what you were making out there. You're now poor spiritually. You've lost your rights. You've lost your freedoms. You need to get right with God. So look at what Jesus is saying. Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the, uh, the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the who? The blind, and once again, that's both spiritual and natural for the blind of, of spirit who can't see the truth. How many know right now in the LGBTQ community, they are blind and cannot see the truth? Amen. They can't see it. Esau, would you come up here? I want her to tell a testimony about how she was once blind, but now she sees. And we don't ever want to take these for granted. And I'll just tell it to you as I've told it before as she's coming up here, that when she first came and talked to me right here, yeah, let's give it up as she comes. Come on. She didn't know this, but God knew. So, yeah, come stand up here for me, please. Because remember when you talked to me right over here? It was right there. And she said, Pastor, I want to get back involved in the church. And she told me her story, which she'll tell you right now. But here's how I remember it, even though some of the details may be off a little bit. But here's how I remember it. She was uh, living as a boy. She had taken the medication and had the doctors working with her to fully transition to live as a male. And when she had told me that she was going to be a part of the church and that she was going to now transition to who she was supposed to be, I kind of just looked at her a little bit blank, and I'm like, well, which direction are we going, you know? Are you a boy that's been trying to be a girl or a girl that's been trying to be a boy? And, she, and I remember you told me this because she's pretty blunt, and that's what I like about her. She goes, and I'm a girl, by the way. How many are confused now when you look at it? There's no confusion. She's a beautiful young lady, isn't she? And even if, I just want to say this, even if, because sometimes people think that's, that's what we're saying as a church, just to now dress up like a girl and then all of a sudden the bad feelings go away. No, no. We know there's a process. We know there's an understanding of that, that, that comes inside. But you see, what happens is the spiritual eyes open first. And then they're able to see themselves for who they really are. So just tell us a little bit how you went from blind, thinking you were somebody you weren't, to how you see that you're happy in the skin that you're in. Yeah, so simply put, um, I was basically confused in my identity and who God created me to be. Um, I was identifying as Lawrence for um, about two years, and I socially transitioned first, and then I started to make, I tried twice to commit uh, to hormones, hormone therapy, um, but I, I tried the first time, and it was it was it was not a good outcome because I accidentally ended up like taking too much and it ended up like I actually changed like there was just crazy it was just a lot the hormones affected me a lot and so I stopped transitioning on hormones but I still identified as Lawrence for a couple years and then um, my last attempt to transition was a couple months I was taking uh, hormone patches and it was changing, you know, my thought process, my how I interacted with people, and just who I really was, you know, who God created me to be. And um, in that, there was a lot of confusion, you know, building up in my mind. I ended up hearing my mother, I never heard her say this. She told me, Jesus loves you. And I never, hold my, I never heard my mom tell me Jesus loves you. She would always just kind of like tell me the bad stuff that I was doing. But she told me and she reminded me that Jesus loved me. And so then one night I ended up, you know, praying to God. And, you know, I was doing drugs. I was drinking alcohol. You know, just lost in my life and my identity and who I was. Um, and I told God. I specifically prayed, dear Lord, I said, I, I know this is what I want. And I know it's something that I desire. But God, if this is not your will for my life, you need to show me now because I'm, gonna, I'm not coming back. I'm going to do it. And so he, <laughs> I prayed that, you know, in Jesus' name. And I went to bed and I had a dream that I had all the surgeries, you know. Um, and I had, I was, I was on years on hormones. And I just, I looked at myself and I, I just felt the Lord told me, you will never be a man because I never created you to be so. Yeah. So I woke up, and I'm like, I felt conviction. I didn't stop right then and there, but it took, it took the Lord and breaking me again. He broke me again, and then I came to repentance uh, one night, and I just was like the good Samaritan. I mean, the lady 
the lady at the well I met, the Samaritan at the well, I ran to my family and told them, I'm not Lawrence anymore. I'm Isa. And then I'm there just, yeah. So praise God. Praise God. Isn't that amazing? Thank you. We have many people in this church who have been delivered from transgenderism, bisexuality, homosexuality, and partying on the weekends, doing things they regret with the other sex, if you know what I mean, or in sexual relationships. God has set them free. And, and every time when they testify, it's just like Esau right there. Something happened where they went from being blind to see. Well, in our world right now, they're telling us that if we preach to them that message of seeing, that we're actually preaching, hey, we should let them stay blind. But the Bible says that's not love. That's actually hate. See, they have it twisted. If I don't come and tell you who you really are, do I really love you? No. If I tell you who you think you are, and that's a lie, then that's not really love. That's hate. That's me letting you stay in pain. Like, for example, me getting the surgery right here, what made the difference is that my tendons separated. You know, it's like a rubber band that snaps. That's, that's my Achilles tendon. Well, after two weeks of trying to self-heal, I go and get the MRI. Well, the MRI shows that my tendons are separated. They didn't come back. It's, you know, too far distance. And obviously, uh, you know, it's going to take longer if I try to now redo it that way. And he said, no, you just need to let me get in there and do the thing. And then you'll have assurance that it's all connected. And then now you can move on with your recovery. Now, at that point, you know what he had to do? He had to tell me the truth. He had to tell me the truth. This is the truth. I'm cutting you open. It's going to be painful. I got to put you down. Then you're going to come up and your legs going to be not. I mean, he went through the whole thing. And then he said, then you're going to start to feel the pain like I am on a Sunday morning, you know, but I'm happy I'm here. And then you're going to have to, you know, take some more pain pills, etc. He didn't lie to me. And now that I'm going through it, I'm being healed. Come on, somebody say the truth heals. Amen. The truth heals. If he would have came to me and looked at the MRI and said, oh, you know what? I don't want to ruin Joe's day. I don't want to tell him he has to go through surgery, go down and get cut open and then feel pain. I'm just going to tell him it's working. It's working. How many know that that might have felt good in that moment, but as I kept walking for a few weeks and not having it spring back, how many know I would start to get disappointed? I would start to get angry. I would start to be upset and see what's going to happen when the eyes are open, when everybody goes to judgment day, they're going to be looking at those false teachers and say, why did you tell me this? Why did you tell me that I was going to be better off? Why did you tell me? Not only did you ruin my physical life, but you ruined my spiritual life. And the Bible says upon those people, the doctors, the leaders, even the parents, the blood of those people's souls is going to be on their hands. Somebody say, God have mercy. Amen. So it's our job to teach the blind how to see. And that's why when Jesus said, if you see the blind lean the blind, they're just going to go into a ditch. That's why we don't follow Ellen DeGeneres. I mean DeGeneres. We follow Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and Paul. Amen. Those are our leaders, not Oprah, not Ellen, not RuPaul. We follow St. Paul. Amen. Oh, that's a good one. Not RuPaul, but St. Paul. I got to add that to the Ellen DeGenerate one. You know what I'm saying? Not Ellen DeGenerate, uh, but, it, but I got to find one. But we follow Ezekiel. There you go. Look at the scripture. He said, I'm going to proclaim freedom to prisoners. He's going to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And that just means anybody and everybody that feels like they're weighed down and burdened. And that mostly comes through mental anguish. Whether you're looking at, you know, Robin Williams, a comedian that made everybody else laugh but committed suicide, or that dancing guy that was on the Ellen show. You know, he was the DJ. He was always dancing. And I just saw another thing come up. You know, now the wife has sold the home. She's moving on in life, and we need to pray for her because that's a tragedy. But when you looked at him, especially during COVID, just talking about the DJ of Ellen, he was out there always dancing and encouraging people, but he committed suicide. How many know who I'm talking about there? Yeah, he committed suicide. It's because the oppressed can hide it, especially in our culture today with 15-second reels. You can become jealous of people that are this close to ending it all. You might have been going through COVID feeling sorry for yourself, watching this guy dance, saying, man, I wish I had moves like Jagger. I wish I could move like him. And then, you know, he ends up taking his life. That's why the Bible said it's not by the outside. You look at a tomb on the outside, they can look pretty. But on the inside, it's a bunch of dead men's bones. David even said, this because I can relate to it. At times, even as a Christian, you may look to the sinner and say, oh, look at how easy they have it. Oh, they get to do whatever they want. It looks like on the outside that they're living the good life. But David said, then I went to the house of God and I saw their end and I saw what God then has for the believer. So he had a picture of heaven and hell. And how many know on earth they may be doing well for a little bit, but hell's hot. Amen. And they're going to pay a penalty for that. But in the presence of the Lord is the full fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Amen? So we tell the oppressed, get free in Jesus' name, and then we proclaim to them the year of the Lord's favor. So just quickly, what does the anointing do in Isaiah 61 as Jesus is quoting it? It gives us the ability to preach the gospel to the poor. It then tells us that we're to go to the prisoner and proclaim freedom. We're then to go to the the blind and give them sight in Jesus' name and also laying hands on the sick as you guys have been praying for me for recovery and that the oppressed can be free, burdens can be broken, and that the Lord is going to favor them. Amen? Now, let's go to this slide that I have here for you because I want to now take the preaching and I want to bring it to the teaching. How can we now focus in 2024 to do more for the poor. Well, I have here for you these passages, and so I want you to open up your Bibles with me to these passages, and let's look at the outline that I have here and see if the Lord will anoint you today for these areas. And even as you're turning to our first one, Isaiah 58, how many would say you already sense you have an anointing to help the poor? You just have already sensed it. God has already used you, whether it's with those who are sick, whether it's with the the elderly, the nursing homes, or going to the prison, or helping out with the youth, single moms, uh, kids growing up in broken families. Once again, how many in this church would already say, you sense the anointing to help the poor? Okay, now for those of you who do not sense the anointing yet, let me just start you from just the step one. If you're not saved, get saved. Get born again and have the Holy Spirit come reside in you. That's important because we're not just doing good deeds like how they do toys for tots, and that's fun. And uh, we're not just doing the boys and girls club, though that's good. What we're doing here is an anointed service unto God. So yes, on the outside, if you saw me handing a water bottle to someone thirsty or clothing the naked, it may look the same as if the Muslim or atheist or whoever else was doing it. But the difference is there's an anointing on the water bottle I'm handing out because it comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes with the good news that it's not just for your external life. The water's not just for your your body, but it's for your soul and spirit. Amen? So even as we hand out water, we should be pointing them to the water of life. Even as we hand out food, we should be teaching them. You can go to hell with a belly full of food now, so you better get the real man of the bread of life from heaven. Amen? And as we're helping people get clothed and and to, to get out of prison, we need to tell them, you can go to you could still go to hell, you know, having all of these blessings in your life unless you're clothed with the glory of God, having your name written down in heaven reserved with a mansion that Jesus has prepared for you. Amen. So everybody see that you get the anointing by being saved. Number two, after you're saved, get filled with the Holy Ghost for the baptism of spiritual power. You'll have the Spirit rebirth you at regeneration, but then at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that which is in you is released to come out of you. So sometimes people say, can I be uh, saved and go to heaven without being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Baptism in water represents the spiritual rebirth of your spirit from the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual empowerment where you are released now to share the gifts of God and the power of God without measure, without restraint. You are now tapped into the power of God. And the Bible says throughout the book of Acts that the initial evidence of this, that you have been plugged in, is that you will speak in new languages or speak in tongues. Do I have any Pentecostals, Holy Ghost-filled people here that have spoken in tongues? Amen. And these gifts of languages will not be always understood. Most of the time they won't be without an interpretation, but they will be used as a prayer language between you and God. God is not up in heaven saying, que paso. He's not speaking English. There are heavenly languages. And the Bible says this baptism of the Holy Spirit coming forth through our heavenly language will now keep us in the Wi-Fi of heaven. And I know many of you probably don't remember this, but for some of you, it w- you will. Otherwise, you can look it up because this is the example that I used to give. Does anybody remember when you used to get online, there would be some sounds that would come up, beep, boop, beep, boop, 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 beep, you know, and you didn't know what those sounds meant, but that meant information was traveling back and forth. I've, I believe that's what it's like when you get connected to the Holy Ghost. There's sounds coming out of you that you don't quite understand, but those sounds are connected to heaven. And the Bible says that as your spirit prays, your mind is unfruitful. It doesn't understand. And that's good sometimes because God's got to do stuff beyond your own understanding. 
And then the Bible says we can pray for interpretation. So you can do that in your private time or when you're in church, if the Lord were to give you a word, and then you'll interpret it. And then some, even as myself, have had testimonies when we were speaking in what was to us an unknown language was actually known to others in the room. And I've done that twice with the Indian dialect where I was speaking in tongues thinking it was just a mystery between me and God downloading that information that he had for me and an Indian brother on two different times two different ones as a matter of fact said that they knew what I was saying the first one did not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit he had been one to the Lord by missionaries that were not Pentecostal that's rare to find in a place like India and he heard me speaking in tongues and he said to brother Glenn if you guys met brother Glenn the evangelist we were in Bible college at this time he said to brother Glenn how does he know my language he is now saying in my language this is for real you need to receive it and he got baptized in the Holy Ghost because of that. Can I hear an amen? You don't make this stuff up, friends. There's no reason to make it up. I'm just telling you right now. This, I wasn't expecting it that day. I didn't try to speak his language. I wasn't trying to pretend to get him to join us. I didn't even know his background. Glenn told it all to me as well as he did. And then the second time, I was in India, and uh, we're driving in traffic, stuck in traffic, doing all that we do there, you know, crossing the country there. And, in, you know, we would just pray and speak in tongues. And, and it wasn't the whole time. It was just one particular phrase that my uh, interpreter said, man, you, you, you know this one yet? Because, you know, they were teaching me their, their language here and there. He said, have we taught you this word yet? Fire, fire, fire. Have we taught you that? Because, you know, I know it in Spanish. Fuego, fuego. You know, that's a popular one. So he said, have we taught you that? And I said, no, I don't know. I don't know that word. He said, and he, and he said, this is the word. And he said it. And I go, man, I've been praying that this whole time. He says, yeah, I keep hearing you say fire, fire, fire in my language. Come on, somebody say amen. God knows how to speak to us and through us in those languages, but most of the time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is between you and God for that empowerment, helping you to pray. So number one, get saved, be born by the Spirit, and then be baptized by the Spirit. That way, you now have the opportunity for God to speak to you and give you a direction for the anointing. The anointing will always come in order of the appointing. So let me just make this clear. We're not looking for rogue disciples. Some uh, old-timers used to say some were called, some were sent, others just took the microphone and went. We're not looking for that. We're looking for order, just like our brother showed us here. He's in order. He's doing things with the church. And if it's not this church, that's okay. Find a good one. But those who are anointed are also appointed. And what that means is God anoints. God does everything we just said right there. You know, uh, makes you born of the Spirit, baptizes you in the Spirit. But then God uses men to appoint you to do the things of the Spirit. So everybody get this. God anoints and man appoints. And of course, you want to find the ones appointing you to be anointed as well. And so that's why we encourage you as you're saved, filled with the Holy Ghost on fire for God to get involved in discipleship and then start, you know, bringing out those ideas that you have. And if I was to tell you all the ideas that have come across my desk, I would be here all day and we can't do all of them. But I can tell you this, those that the Lord puts in our heart and your heart, that partnership, those are the best ones. So if, you know, I remember one time somebody said to me, well, can I start a pottery class for Jesus? And I was like, well, I guess we could try that. And then it was like, you know, going to make the church a little dirty because they're going to have to put down a, you know, a garbage bag and bring people in, you know, to make a mess. And I said, no, that, you know, that's not what we're going to do. How many understand that? That doesn't mean maybe you're not anointed to do a pottery class for Jesus. I know you probably want to know who it is, but uh, I know you, you guys know, you know them. Okay. But uh, you don't probably know that you know them, uh, but they're, they're a part of another ministry now. Let's just say that in our, in our church in Dallas, that's as much hint as I'll give. Think of who in Dallas and Metro Praise would be about pottery for Jesus. Some of you all get that person. It's a sister. She's a great uh, woman of God. So we're not going to be able to do everything that you may be uh, anointed to do. But what we're going to do is find those things that the church is called to do where we can now partner together. And I guarantee you, you'll have quite a lot to do right here. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. So just by the way, there are some things that I do without the church. In other words, there are things that God has put upon my heart to do that I don't need to do with the church. So I, you know, I do hobbies and different things. And one of my hobbies, I wakeboard and they have a Bible study there. It's called Wake Well. So they do this for the Christians that wakeboard and they want to encourage them. See, I didn't have to come to the elders and say, should we start a wakeboarding ministry? That was something that I could do by the anointing. But notice everything that I do in the church, I do with the appointing 
anointing and the uh, collaboration with the elders. Everybody see that? So we're just, we're just making sure you understand this. You're going to get saved. You're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And those of you who already done that, you're ready to go. And so then what you want to do is bring these God ideas to the leaders and be appointed to do it. And if for whatever reason, because I just have to say this, not every idea is approved in the church. You don't get discouraged and quit on the church. No, just do that on your own. We're not saying you can't do it. We're just saying we may not promote it and get behind it the same way, just as I, even the pastor, don't promote to you a wakeboarding Bible study, because I just know that's not where the church is headed in this direction. I do that on my own, and you can do that as well. But what we do want to look for is on this list, enough things to keep us busy. And you've already heard about all Gerald ministry. We also have a Feed the Needy ministry that's helping the migrants and the immigrants right now that goes out regularly. We also have a, a after-school program that we work with. You can talk with those. Then we have the youth program, the Elevate Youth program. Then we have the Wednesday Children's program. And then we have Bible studies and life groups. We have Saturday abortion ministry. And then we also have Saturday evangelism and various days where we do those things also on Sunday with evangelism. Can I hear an amen? So that, that's enough to get started right there. Can I hear an amen one more time? Thank you. And then if you want to add to that, well, I want to go to another jail or I want to feed the poor in a different area or I want to take on evangelism in another place. Let's see if we can do it together. And if we can't, we'll still just bless you to go off and do that because we may not have enough resources to go where you're at and you'll have our blessing to do it. And over time, if it's growing and successful, then hopefully we can incorporate to what we're doing. Because I just want to say this last thing, even though we may not be able to point you for everything that you're called to do, we're going to support you. Can I hear an amen? So with that sister with the pottery, I'm sorry, sister, we can't appoint a time to do that here, but you're more than welcome to keep doing that. Put it up on Facebook, let people know. Uh, I actually went to a church that was so strict in this, not only did they not appoint anybody, they shut down all their Bible studies. All church was was the Sunday service and the Wednesday, and then whatever they had going on in the building at that time, so nothing outside of that. Not only did they do that, they also forbade any church gatherings, even with their leaders that were not already in that little system they were doing. So in other words, the elders that were there couldn't even hold a Bible study because he didn't want there to be division. Now, I supported that pastor when I worked there, but it was a grieving experience because I saw a lot of people's fire get, get uh, quenched. How many know if you're not putting fresh wood on a fire, it goes out? And, and that was hard. I, didn't, I was never rebellious towards that pastor. I loved him and served him, but it was really hard to hear uh, people coming to me going, man, I used to do Bible because he had come in as a pastor to take over the, the, the last pastor's work, and they had said, under the last pastor, I had a Bible study. We're doing all these things. Now i got to shut it down. It just doesn't feel right, you know? I still come on Wednesdays, but why can't I have my Bible study on Fridays? I, I'm an elder, or one of them was a leader, I believe. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm teaching the Bible. Uh, but the pastor just wasn't into it. How many are glad you're in a different kind of church? Amen. Okay, so let's go through these, and let's see what the Lord appoints you to do here. Isaiah 58. Let's go there now together. God is going to rebuke his people in this passage because they have become religious, but they don't have any good works. And let me just say this as well, as some have already heard throughout uh, the testimonies here, that as you give, you receive. So if you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm kind of poor. I don't have much to give. Or man, my life is still hard. I don't know if I can help anybody. As you pour into others, God's going to pour into you. As you let go of whatever's in your hand, God's going to let go of what's in his hand. So one of the best ways to Find yourself out of your uh, emotional trauma, out of your relational ups and downs, financial hardships, is to go find somebody else in need and do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. How many of you have ever got holy ghosted when you were helping other people? I'm telling you, it works. I remember when we were starting this church, and I was, re I was resigned from that previous church, and we were starting in our house, and all we had was the Sunday service and the Bible study. I didn't have enough to, to do all the other stuff. And and I felt in my heart that I was supposed to dedicate my, myself to the church. And that's when I went back to school. I started doing a lot of the writing. But I'm a man that's got to work. I don't like lazy, okay? So, uh, you know, you, you take preparation for Sunday and Bible study. That's a few hours one, one day. That's done. You take me going to school writing a little bit, maybe that 10, 15 hours. I still got 30-plus hours left. That's not in counting weekends. So what do, I, what do I do? Well, I had to start finding things to do. I started going to some of my friends' churches, and I said, hey, man, do you need a janitor? I started cleaning some of my friends' churches. Come on, see, that's what it takes. Somebody say the 
servant of all. Amen. He looked at me funny at first, and he said, I don't know what to tell you. If you want to, I got a janitor, but I'll give you a vacuum. I'll tell you what, it felt good getting busy serving God's people. And then he started telling me, well, I also have another ministry. I take out those big igloos that you see on work sites, you know, job sites with water. He said, I fill that up with chicken soup, and I go out to the poor. You want to come with me? It's my friend's church. I said, absolutely. Another one of my friend's church. This is the kind of funny joke I always tell. He said, you want to be Jesus in my play? I said, well, I've never done that before. He said, well, you know, I was a little skinnier then, you know. He's like, you'd be a nice Jesus, you know. So he had me grow out my beard, and I was a Jesus in somebody's play. Somebody say he stayed busy. I just stayed busy, and then I started riding my bike to Belmont and Clark, fell in love with the homosexual community out there, gave my life to them. I started bringing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to the homeless. I started ministering around my community. I just stayed busy because I realized that, you know, like they say, the idle mind is the devil's workshop. I began to realize if I don't fill myself up with the things of God, giving out the Holy Spirit, my fire's going to go out. So I had to get busy for Jesus. That's why I don't understand lazy Christians. Sometimes people say, well, I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to serve the Lord. Man, you're so busy, you need to pray and serve the Lord. You need to put into that busy schedule pouring out. Otherwise, you're going to explode under the stress. You need to make time for your prayer. You need to make time to go out and serve others because it's a release valve in the natural. In the natural, you can, you can see the studies that they've done on this. They even call it the goodwill feeling. When you go out and serve others, it releases these endorphins. It makes you feel compassion and sympathy. It helps you understand that you're not the only one in the world. Just physically, it renews you. But spiritually, as you bring the gospel. You see what God can do. God can change lives, man. Your situation is not too far gone. And when you're telling others about what their miracle can be, you get more faith for your miracle. Amen. Amen. So just look, look at this passage as I read it, because they had forgotten about that, and now he's rebuking them. And see what God may be saying to you, because maybe some of you have forgotten about helping others, and you've been so busy focused on yourself. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Verse 1. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Now notice this. He's going to now list off what are these sins, and it's not going to be what you think. Now he does rebuke them for their idolatry. He does rebuke them for their, uh, you know, their perversion and the turning back on God and all of those things. But notice what he says they lost and what they were really supposed to do first and foremost. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my way, so they're very religious as if they were a nation, talking about Israel, that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. So on the outside it looks like they're still going to church on Christmas and Easter. They're priesters. They're still pledging allegiance to the flag, one nation under God. You know, they ask for just decisions. You know, they swear on the Bible and seem eager for God to come near them. Them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. So they've even fasted even more than some Christians do today. Why have we humbled ourselves and you not notice? And here's what God says. Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Notice the first problem that God has with this rebellious nation is not their idolatry, all, all of that wickedness that's going to come later. It's that you have forgot to take care of the poor. Now think about America for a minute in the Christian church. Yeah, we're off on a whole lot of things that we shouldn't be in right now. There's a lot of sin in the church. But where do you think it all started when we stopped caring for others and preaching the gospel? Think about it. When the church went inward and said, how can we build our radio stations? How can we publish more books? How can we get more church growth and build bigger buildings? And when they forgot about the YMCAs, the Young Men's Christian Associations, and they handed them to the secularists, and they forgot about the Salvation Army that was all based on salvation and being an army of the Lord, and then just let those things go, you know what happened? All the other sins came into their life. See, that's what God says to us. If you stop focusing on what the anointing is for, eventually the things you're doing are going to fall apart. And that's why a lot of churches today, you look at them and they're big and they, they look great on the outside, but they don't have the anointing to see freedom come. I had one person call us up, and Berto can testify to this in the second service, and say, man, he called us up and he knew about us. He said, I've heard about you guys for a while. I, I see you guys all in the streets. Man, I need you to pray deliverance for me because I believe I have some demons. Well, it comes to find out he already goes to church. So we go, well, why don't you go to the church that you already a part of and ask them to do that? He said, oh, the church I go to, they don't do that kind of stuff. Well, brother, that's probably part of the problem right there. You found a church that you thought would make you look good because it was a big building, made you feel fancy when you went there, all the lights and the show and all that. But now when you really need some, they're not there to bring you that kind of power. But you're calling us up. And how many are grateful we didn't charge them a price or say, now come to our conference or buy our books? We say, we'll come pray for you right now. But it was a sign that the church that he was a part of had gotten astray.
And, and you can see it, and I know that many of you notice this, and sometimes we're sassy, and so let's guard our hearts and not uh, be mean in the way that discourages these people. We need to be there to help them. But I just have to say at the same time, I feel a great grieving in my heart. As I've told you here, I'm not a Chicago local, but I've fallen in love with Chicago. The first Bodequa Fest that I went to, no Puerto Rican pastors in that area would join me. That was heartbreaking. I remember seeing one of the biggest churches that was out there. He came out there. He was celebrating. He was a youth pastor. And he said, Joe, what's up? Because I had preached at his church, and they were right there in the area. That's about as much as I'll say. And I said, what's up, Pastor so-and-so? You know, uh, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm, I'm just hanging out with my family. We're going to Bodequa Fest. And I said, hey, man, uh, you know, I always knew you guys as the, the humble park church. Because when I was living in New Orleans, I came and preached for them. And they showed me Humble Park. They were right there next to Bod uh, Bodinkins, you know. And, and, and I said, I thought you guys would be out here. And then this is what he told me. Oh, well, we used to come out here. But now we're all busy doing this and that. And I said, so you don't even come out to the biggest festival in your own neighborhood? No, we don't do that anymore. I said, brother, well, why don't you pray about it and come join me next year? Why don't you and just a few brothers come out? Well, long story short, he came out that next year just with like a brother or two. And that brother, that one of those brothers that he came, if, if I said his name, Miguel, some of you would remember. Miguel ended up going out there every year with us, and I never saw that pastor again. And, uh, and I think to myself, that's a large church. And all the people that go there, and only one of them said, well, I'll join you guys out here at Bodequa Fest. Let me say, God, have mercy. Amen. I'm not trying to be the great white hope. I'm not trying to act like I'm better than the Puerto Ricans that were in that neighborhood. But it shocked me. And I know they love the community, and they still do good things out there. But it shocked me that going out and preaching seemed to be so foreign to them. They would rather go out maybe once a year in their parking lot, do medical supplies, back to school. And we do that as well. But sometimes you just got to go right to where the people are at. You got to rebuke the devil in Jesus' name and show the world that you're serious about God. Amen? Uh, just to tell you a funny story, uh, so there was a white homeless man that came out there. Normally, people who look like me are the most mouthiest when we preach the gospel. Can I hear an amen to that? Those of you who have been to Wicker Park, Belmont, and Clark, it's normally the gringos that cause the most issues. Every now and then, you'll, you'll see somebody, as they would say, a, pe a person of color be disrespectful. But more than often, I feel more comfortable in Bode uh, Humble Park and on the west side than I do in Wicker Park and uh, Belmont and Clark, okay? And so uh, there was a guy out there, man, he was just screaming at us. This white guy, he was screaming, oh, you Christians, you're hypocrites. Oh, you guys are this and you guys are that. And there was a Puerto Rican guy that walked up and you could tell he, uh, he probably wasn't that too church, you know, if you know what I mean. He said, man, I'll punch you in the mouth right now. If you don't stop, these people are helping. This is my accent. You know? These people are, I'll knock you out right now. And I'm just like, I'm about ready to break it up. But then there's another part of me that just wants to see it happen. You know, <laughs> pray for me. But he had to leave, and I was just thinking, you know what? Even the people that are out there respected what we were doing because, it, you know, it makes sense. Why would they come out here unless they loved us? Why We had the abuelas, you know, some of you here, making the arroz con condules, the special rice for the Puerto Rican here. We're loving them. We're serving them. Why would we do that unless we love them? So, hey, you don't like it? Move on. Let these people serve our community. And that's generally what I see. Every now and then, even when we go to these tough neighborhoods, people will say, why are you out here? We don't like you being out here. But most of the time, they give us a warm reception, and they're willing to hear the gospel. Can I hear an amen? Amen. First thing they did is they were exploiting their workers. They weren't paying, uh, paying fair wages. Verse 4, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in uh, striking each other with fists. So you guys are fighting all the time. You can't fast today and expect your voice to be like you do today. You can't fast like this and expect your voice to be heard on high because you're basically hypocrites, right? Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for you just to humble yourself, come to church, to bow your head, to pretend like you're doing something, lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. Doesn't that sound like what we just read? Amen. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to bring Break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Now notice this promise that says here, verse 8. This is to me revival. Somebody say revival. Thank you. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say here I am 
Amen. Do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing of finger, malicious talk. Spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry. Satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. How many want to see God do this in our city? Just fill in the blanks as we go to the chart right now of all the things you can see where we can do this at. We seek the Lord in humility. We loose the bonds of injustice. We set the oppressed free. We share with the hungry. We shelter the homeless. We clothe the naked. We avoid oppression and malicious talk. We show mercy to those in need. We build back the ancient runes and honor the Sabbath as it continues on. We honor the Lord. So why do we go to the west side? To do all of that. Why do we go out there in front of abortion clinics to do all of that? To do away with the oppression? I mean, think about this. They want to murder their children. And what more oppressive behavior could you have than that? And we're out there saying to them, mothers, we'll adopt your children. We'll take care of them. Maybe you've been oppressed in your life. Maybe you have a, a, a bad baby daddy. Or maybe even you've been raped. God forbid. But let's punish the rapist and not the baby. Amen? We don't punish the person that's innocent. We punish the person that's guilty. Now go quickly with me to Matthew 25, 31, as we're going to get ready to do an ordination service, and I appreciate everyone's patience. First and second service are going to meld together there in just a moment. But look at Matthew 20, 25, 31 through 46. Jesus on judgment day is going to separate the world into sheep and goats. And here he's going to say to the ones gathered at his right, he'll say, come, starting in verse 34, those who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. How many ready for that when Jesus comes back? Amen. So Now look at what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. You're hearing that, those same kind of themes here, right? I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now notice what the righteous say in return because it's Jesus saying all of this. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you actually you in the flesh, Jesus in the flesh, hungry and feeds you, or thirsty and give you something to drink. When do we see you, Jesus, in the flesh, as you are right now, and invite you in, or needing clothes, or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Now the king, who is King Jesus, will reply, truly I tell you, this is one of the most powerful verses. Are you ready for this? Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Well, pastor, what if I go out there and they, and they just take our food and they just curse us out? Let them do it because we're doing it unto Jesus. Well, what if we go to the abortion clinic and the mom wants to murder her child and then she yells at us? Let them treat us however they want. They know not what they do. We're out there for Jesus. Well, what if I go to the prison and then they say, well, I want to be a Muslim. They're giving me a right to fight the man and I don't want to hear to turn the other cheek. You know what? We're going to love them and see whatever God has for them come to pass. Amen. We're not going to force it. If they say to us, us, they hate us, we say back to them, we love you. If they give us the middle finger, we give them two fingers, a sign of peace. I love it when they do. They come by, and I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets them more mad, you know. And the Bible says that do good to your enemies, it will be like burning coals on their head. The Bible says, you, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We're not here to straighten it out through our physical weapons. We're not here to fight against flesh and blood this way. We're to fight against the devil and love our fellow brother and sister. Amen? Our brother and sister in humanity, and especially the Christians when we see them do this. So going back to the list, what do we see here? We can apply this in many different ways. From Matthew, feed the hungry, welcome strangers, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. That's what we're going to do. So where, where, where can you find a place to do that? Well, I named off a bunch of ministries. Let's start there. And then if your heart is to do more, let's go there. Now, going back to that pottery example, can, let's just be honest. Does the pottery example really fit into any of these lists yet? No, it does. it's a hobby. It's something you like to do. And that's great she wants to do that or did at that time to bring people into a, the church and so forth. But this is what we're looking for. We're looking for people who want to love the unlovable, to help those on Fentanyl Lane out there on the west side, on Western in Chicago, getting all those drugs. We want to love on them and invite them to church. We want to clothe them and feed them. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing people of this church helping the community. I love it as a pastor. I love you on Sundays. Listen to me. But I love you more 
on Saturdays when you're out there in the community. I like it when you got a little bit of dirt on your shirt because you've been having to work out there in the fields of harvest. I like it when I see you come to me and say, Pastor, they just cursed me out. I kind of like it. I'll be honest. I don't want you to get hurt, and I pray for your safety. But you know why I like it? Because you sweet little thing, you've lived in a Christian bubble for a long time. You need to see how they really treat us sometimes. And I know it's not easy. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. I know it's not easy. But you have to rejoice when you're persecuted. You have to understand it's not that they hate you. They hate the light inside of you. Have you ever had anybody flip on a light after it was dark for a while, maybe in a movie theater or you were sleeping? What's your first reaction? Shut it off. Shut it off. And that's what they say to us, right? And, and if you can look back on your testimony, that's probably how you were as a sinner. Most of us, well, when we heard the gospel, we didn't go, well, gee willikers, I'm ready. Let's go do it. Oh, that's awesome. No, most of us were like, blankety blank, Christian, I don't need that. As I've told you part of my testimony before, when I saw people doing that uh, pro-life stuff in my community, when I was on my way to go to the skate park downtown. My friend was driving the car. I was about 16 or 17. I said, slow down the car, dude. We honked the horn. I stuck my butt out the window and mooned them all. Yeah, that's how I was. I know it gets shocking right now, but I was a wicked sinner. But how many are glad now I'm on the right side? God was patient with me. Go to James chapter 1 verse 27. James chapter 1 verse 27 quickly here as we go through our list. The Bible says, true religion is to take care of orphans and widows. I know that we have one here that is doing this, and I'm looking at him. Do you feel like testifying? Because I know you're also in the court. I don't want to put you on video if it's going to make it awkward. It would be okay. All right, I want to call up to you one of my heroes right now in the faith. Will Johnson, would you come up, please? Because religion, according to James, the half-brother of Jesus, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. They just had their first baby through the womb of his wife. Let's give it up for a healthy birth. But they've had two beautiful children over there that they've been caring for out of, I believe, the foster care system, and they're believing this year to adopt. Would you tell us the heart that you have behind this? To give a little bit of context, when uh, on my, my wife and I's first date, um, she told me, she said, I'm going to do foster care with or without you, so you can come on board or you can leave. <laughs> and... Um, I said, let's do it, and uh, through all of this, we wanted to have a family. We wanted to, um, we, we have a heart for children. We have a heart for raising up children in the Lord, and everything around us, everyone around us told us that you should have kids, raise a family before you do foster care. Um, common sense told us that. They said you should raise, raise biological kids and have them. And then afterwards, go. And um, if, you, if you have a heart for foster care, do it then. Um, we didn't have a piece about that. God was telling us that he wanted us to care for those children in our community that needed help. Whether that was for two weeks or for months or for years. Um, whether that was adoption or not, that wasn't our heart in it was to adopt necessarily. It was to care for those children in our community that needed help. To care for those families. And I know there's quite a few others that are standing around here that have brought in so many children in the community and cared for them, brought in mothers in the community and cared for them. Um, and that's the heart, right? It's, it's, it's what God does for us. He brought us all in and adopted all of us. So over the last four years, the Lord has stewarded us with those two beautiful children over there. You, they've touched so many of your lives, and you've, you all have poured into them. Um, but I just want to testify of God's goodness. Um, every day has brought us closer to the Lord. Every day has reminded us more of how God loves us and cares for us. You all have encouraged us, and it's been such an encouragement to see so many of you open your hearts to those in the community who need help. There are so many mothers who need help to be able to put their feet underneath them. And as we have a newborn, it reminds us of the help that so many people need. It's hard having a newborn, not sleeping, not being able to take care of stuff, and we need help. (laughs) But so much more somebody who's not doing it as a couple who's married, who has a church family plugged in. So look around to those around you who need help. Um, but it's been such a blessing and encouragement to us. And oh, praise you, the Lord. Brother. We love you. We pray this year favor. Amen. Here's a good thing. You may, you may not be able to help everyone, but you can help someone.
So some of you may say, well, I can't do foster care yet, but you can help someone doing foster care. You can bring over some groceries. You can love on them. You can offer to watch the kids, or you can take them out with them and just be an extra eye as a babysitter. Or you can find friends and family in this church, those who kept their children, praise God, and didn't have divorces or abortions and are single moms and help them, you know, by watching the kids. Or just join with ministries like, like Juan's going out to the abortion ministry to help parents make the right decisions. Amen? So you may not be able to help everyone, but you can help someone. Now, going back to that list. These are pretty obvious. We not only take care of the children, we also take care of the mothers. And then now let's go quickly to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We see the good Samaritan. How many have heard that story before? But the good Samaritan has so much depth to it. He crosses cultures. It would be like the good African American in the time of slavery in the South. While he, the Samaritan, was being oppressed by Jews, like how African Americans were oppressed by white people in the South, he helps the Jewish person. It would be like the African American helping the white Southerner. He helps his oppressor. And as we just scroll down, we don't have time to read the story right now. Uh, if you scroll up to where he begins to help him, what does he do? He takes him onto his, uh, his animal. He begins to care for him. He has compassion on him. He pours oil and wine. These were expensive things at that time. He bandages his wounds. He puts him on his donkey, puts him in his car. And of course, you got to be careful when you work with the homeless. This would be similar to that. Don't bring every homeless person into your house, especially ladies and you know, if they're men. And I've brought in over 30 into my house when I was single, and it was more careful at that time. Now I work with other organizations. So, but this is that kind of ministry. He's helping them. He's bringing them into his house. He's bringing, uh, bringing them into his donkey like a, like a car. Brought him to an in that's taking him to like a hospital and, and told them to take care of him. And then notice he comes the next day with even more money and gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll re reimburse you for any expense that you may have. So as we go to the list, look at the complexity here that comes out with the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan not only just has compassion, which we're supposed to have, but he also provides the immediate care. Some may say immediate care. And then the follow-up care. Some may say follow-up. Thank you. So as we were talking about with our brother going to the juvenile jail, it's not just in the immediate, it's also when they get out. And I know that that's going to take more time and patience because they may have ups and downs in their lives. Like when the mother starts uh, having more struggles as the child gets older, we need to be there. Not when things get, we don't leave when things get hard, we get closer, amen? And we've done that and we're going to continue to do that. Now as Brother Daryl comes in closing today, I hope that you've seen some things you can be appointed to do. Here's what Proverbs 28 verse 27 says. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who cl close their eyes to them will receive many curses. So it's really up to you right now, isn't it? Do I want to be cursed or do I want to be blessed? Hard decision, hard decision. I don't know. No, come on. I want to be blessed. How many want to be blessed? We'll find somebody in need and begin to help them. Find somebody in need. Let's start with our youngest right now. All of our children that are here, find other young people in your school, in your neighborhood to start to befriend and share the gospel with. Share your lunch with them. Share a lunch table with them. High school students, start inviting them over to your Bible studies and, and to the youth group. College students, start befriending the people that no one else is friends with. Those who are young adults and you're starting your careers, yes, you got to be uh, killers on the job. You've got to be there and you've got to be intense to win. I get it. But also take note of those who are struggling on your job. Do your best to help them. Bring them up with you. Those who are married and have families, start to look at, at the families in your community and neighborhood and begin to see which ones you can help. There's going to be somebody, I guarantee you, within arm's length. How many are already seeing people in their mind right now? Somebody on the job, somebody in their family. It's just right there, man. It's right next to you. Um, you know, one of the easiest things that I do is I cut grass for my neighbors. Just, you know, I did it when I had uh, the Mercedes living next to me, and they didn't really have the opportunity to do it with Vinny working all the time. I would just cut the grass. They didn't have to say anything. I would just go over there and do it. And then with now I have a, a, a Purple Star veteran over there. I cut it all the time. And then he tells me to stop because he wants his daughter to learn. But it's always just in my heart. That's just easy. I go out and do that. And then we look at the kids in the community. My wife bringing in Princess today from our neighborhood in Elgin. Uh, Princess was, was made friends with my daughter and others, and we found out she was looking for a church. And that takes a little bit extra time out of my wife's schedule to bring her everywhere we go, but now she's just part of the family. You just make adjustments. Can I hear an amen? Or you begin to do what some of the others have done today. You, you might say, well, everybody around me is okay, and I'm still helping, but I want to do more. Okay, well, then you go outside of your sphere now. 
And then you start to go to the high school. So let's say you're a young person. You go, okay, well, I'm meeting my friends. And I'm talking to them on the jobs. I mean, at the class and at the lunchroom. But I want to really see if there's more. Okay, well, then come with us when we start up our school ministry again in the warm weather. You know, start coming to the parks with us. Get to meet other teenagers. Don't just wait for your friends. You're four and no more. Start to get out there. And then some of you as well. Okay, I'm reaching on my job, but who else do I help now? Okay, well, if you're working and you're a successful young adult, join with, with, with our brother over here and start going to the kids in, in juvenile jail. You don't have to go every day. Just volunteer once a month. Even if you just went twice a year. Come on, somebody. Just dedicate yourself to it. And right now, the youth ministry and Wednesday children's ministry, we have a lot of people that drop off their kids here that they don't still come to the church. Some of them do, and we're very thankful for that. But we love taking those children in during those times, and we can always use more work, more helpers, right, more workers. I'm going to pray for you now as we get ready to move into our, um, our ordination. So before we dismiss, we're going to uh, ordain someone here, and then we'll dismiss and go to second service. So if you'd be patient, I'd appreciate it. But let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, if uh, there's anyone here who doesn't know you yet as their personal Lord and Savior, that that's where they'll start as the time that we've had together has convicted them, Lord. May they now repent of their sins and be born again. If you haven't accepted Jesus yet, just right where you're at, say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, and make me a new creation. In the next few moments, those who have just been saved, you can get filled with the Holy Spirit. And that then goes for the rest of us here. Look at your heart. Have you been baptized in the Spirit yet? If you haven't, in the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand up. I want you to raise your hands and receive that baptism of the Spirit and begin to speak in unlearned languages. Father, I pray that we'll get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. And for those of us here who already have these beautiful blessings, Lord, now would you begin to guide our hearts towards these ministries that are all around us. And Lord, not be overwhelmed by the need but be in the appreciation of what you can do to meet the need. Let us, Lord, see your help, your answer to the problem. Lord, with everyone here today, may you begin to give them the encouragement to start somewhere, to start reaching out. May not anyone use the excuse of a personality. Well, that's not my personality. I'm shy or I'm too busy. Lord, may we all see how we can reach out and show, Lord, that you are good and you are worth, God, any inconvenience we have to go through to be a blessing to this community. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Band and altar workers, would you come?